Father, that's our prayer this morning, God, that as we look at your word, and you said in Luke that you came to seek and save the lost, to inaugurate your kingdom, that that would start in each one of us, God, as you transform us into the image of Christ. And so, God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us by your spirit, and that we would be those that follow you as true disciples. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good to see you. You know, spring's on its way. Uh, I'm excited that uh, maybe we'll get a little, little more warmth around here, right? A little more sunshine. And uh, yeah, so spring is coming. God is sovereign over these things. Um, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Again, as, as uh, Sean said, we're in Luke chapter 11. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, and we are. We're going to talk a lot about prayer this morning and what it means to be a true disciple. So we'll kind of break the chapter up like this. First, we're going to talk about how we should pray. And, uh, you know, part of this winter, I got sent a box of books from Crossway here. Um, and we have some over here. There's about 50 there. It looks like they're almost gone. So uh, you can take one per family. But here's a book on praying through the Bible to just help you in your prayer life. So if that's something good uh, for you, you can try that out. So we're going to talk about how we should pray then we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple, and then we're going to talk about how Luke warns us and shows us how we can miss uh, the gospel. And so we're going to jump right in this morning. And so here is what Luke talks to us about how we should pray in Luke 11, um, 1 through 4. You know, Luke 11 opens with this. It, it opens with Jesus he is out praying like he often did. He would often retreat uh, to pray and to speak with the Father. And Luke 11, 1 says this, that when he finished praying, one of his disciples who must have been observing him said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, that's a good question. The disciple wants Jesus to teach him to pray. And, and what we get here in Luke 11 is a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer that we just got to sing. And I love Jesus' teaching on prayer. You know, we often think, like, if I could just ask Jesus a question, and then he would answer it, and, and, and we could respond and do what he says, this is what he does for us. He says, how should we pray? And he's going to say, this is how you should pray. And it's not in weird parables or things we don't understand. It's very clear, right? And I think the clarity of it should also teach us that it's really important, okay? That Jesus wants us to pray, and he wants us to do it a, a certain way. In fact, I was meeting with somebody one time, and they said, you know, I'm trying to disciple my friend on how to pray, and I'm trying to come up with this way to teach him how to pray. And I said, have you ever read what Jesus said about praying? <laughs> I said, Jesus tells us exactly how to pray. He's like, really? Yeah. Look at this, right? And so he began to do that. Jesus teaches us here what's essential to being a disciple in our prayer life. So this is what he says in Luke 11 too. He says, when you pray. Now I want you to see that it's important to realize that Jesus expects us as followers of Jesus to be praying. He's saying, when you pray, as if we're doing this, right? And it should ask us, do we pray regularly? Do you find time to set aside in your life to meet with God and talk to Him about all that's going on? This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In fact, we have this uh, on our discipleship wheel, right? It's this 
spoke that's right at the top of prayer, that this is one of the primary ways we as disciples of Jesus engage with God. This is really important that a risen life prays, that we are engaging with God in prayer, vertical communication to Him that fuels our relationship. And I'll tell you, a good prayer life can be quite amazing. Right? This is when you can really feel the presence and the blessing of God is when we are with Him in prayer. And so Jesus teaches us, not only is He praying, but He's going to teach us, this is what I do, this is what you should do. And as we said, as we saw this morning, many of us have memorized this prayer as a kid, right? We recite it, it's good to recite it as a family together, and yet I think what Jesus is doing is He wants us to teach us aspects. So you got to think like, learn this prayer and then learn how to play it kind of in jazz, right? Use the different parts, put different pieces into it, but use the format that God is teaching us. And so we've used this to teach uh, prayer at Risen Life now is this an acronym called PRAY, right? That's easy to remember. When I want to pray, think about the acronym PRAY. It talks about we're going to praise God, we're going to repent, and we're going to ask and we're going to yield to Him. These are the aspects that Jesus is giving us. In fact, first one, this one, praise God, right? Luke eleven two, Father, hallowed be your name. Notice he addresses the Father, right? The, what we see in the Bible is our prayers as Christians have this Trinitarian nature to them. They're always addressed to the Father. We pray in the power of the Spirit and we do it in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the one that allows us to come into the throne room of God. <clears throat> and then we praise God for who He is. right? His Lordship over all the world, the one that moves times and seasons. Praise Him for the things He's done in your life. Praise Him for the ways He's answered prayer. We praise God, we're participating in the worship of God that he wants us to be, that a risen life is a life of worship, and this is where we get to worship God every time we speak to him. Praise him for who he is. And you might go, well, that feels a little weird to do that, right? But God says, try it out. Begin to do this, and you'll find that it can be a really great part of your prayer life. And when we praise God for who he is and what, what he's done, we begin to rightly order our lives under him. He becomes Lord at that point. And then he says, let's repent, right? Luke eleven four, Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Really, there's kind of three parts to this command to repent, right? Praise God, now repent. One, we repent of our sins. In fact, this is what it means to live in the gospel. I often pause when I'm praying. I say, Lord, please show me by your Spirit where I have sinned against you. And let God speak to you. Let him show you. You'll be amazed the things that he will show you that where you have sinned against him. And then confess them to him. God, I'm sorry. And we, stand, we do this in the promise of the gospel. 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? God wants to hear from you and to forgive you and to allow you to live a life of freedom in the gospel. This is what it's all about. 
Repentance is not meant to feel like a, like a shame fest where you're just ashamed of who you are, but rather to be a freeing release into God's grace. That God loves me and wants to cleanse me from my sins. Repentance is that confession, and then I begin to turn away and walk in a new direction after God. As we read this morning in our Sunday school class, Romans 8, 1 and 2, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a good verse. You are forgiven when you confess your sins before God. To walk in His freedom and in His grace. That the Spirit of life has set you free from death. Now, we often forget kind of the second part of this part of the Lord's Prayer. But after we confess our sins, you know what God asks us to do? He says, now that you've experienced my forgiveness, you got to turn around and do it to other people. I often, this is a great part of prayer when you get into this. You confess your sins and then you say, God, who have I not forgiven? Who am I holding a grudge against, Lord? Lord, give me the strength to forgive this person that has hurt me. And and this may not even be a one-time thing. You know, sometimes I pray this, and sometimes I've been praying for the same person that I want to forgive for years. Because I know God still needs to work in my heart and still needs to do that. In fact, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, If we want God to forgive us, then we ought to turn around and forgive others that have injured us. And this is a really important part of our prayer life. So as we, you know, part of what we do as we come to communion, it asks us to judge the body rightly, and particularly this group of people. And what God is saying, when you come to communion, who are you not right with? Maybe today you need for the first time to forgive somebody, even in this room, for the things that they have done against you. And communion is a great time to do that. And then thirdly, in this one about repentance and sin, we ask God to protect us from temptation. You know where you're tempted. You know what situations you're going to walk into this week where you're going to be tempted to sin and you say, God, by your Spirit, can you give me strength not to walk in the temptation and sin that's going to come against me? God will do it. He'll give you strength. He'll give you a way out when temptation comes your way. Ask Him to stand in all of those things, those, those armor, the, 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 all the armor and the weapons of the, the soldier we see there in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, the belt of truth. Right? God's truth. The breastplate of righteousness that I do good things. Shoes ready to share the gospel. The shield of faith that extinguishes the arrows of the evil one. The helmet of salvation. The sword of God's word. Praying and being alert at all times. Kids, by the way, I think that would make a really good Halloween costume. So I want to see somebody this year at our harvest party come in, the, come in this these things that Paul talks about here in Ephesians. That'd be great, I think. We also ask, right, the A of pray. Luke eleven three. give us this day our daily bread. And we're going to dive deeper into this in a moment because Jesus actually says a lot of things. But I, what we want to see is that Jesus tells you to ask for things in your prayer life. Sometimes I think we're scared to do that, but he's saying ask both for provision in His hand to move in your life and in our world. Ask Him. Bring all the requests, the little ones, the big ones, 
the crazy ones, right? God says, ask. And he's going to move. And then he says, let's yield to the Father. This one is a little bit foreign to us, but we sang it this morning, Luke eleven two. Your kingdom come and come in my heart, right? Here you're basically saying, God, do it. <laughs> Everything you've said and promised, do it. And do it in me first. Your kingdom come in my heart first and then let it go out to all the world. We pray that God's kingdom would advance in us and everywhere, even as Luke is talking about. God's setting up a new kingdom. He came to seek and save the lost, and we want God to do that. Just advance through all our world. So I want to challenge you this week. Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. Why don't you pray through this in acronym one time this week? I'd encourage you to do that. Um, I have a book that's helped me do this. This is a little book called A Handbook to Prayer by Kenneth Boa. Now, I'm not man enough to do this every day because it's quite intense, but he puts scripture basically to all these parts of Jesus' prayer here. And so if you want a little bit of help in doing this, this is a great book to help you learn how to pray really well um, with God. Now, I want to come back to what Jesus is teaching us about asking. Luke 11, 5 through 10, he tells us this kind of ridiculous story about asking. He tells us this story about a guy who receives some people to his house at midnight and he doesn't have any food. And so he goes next door to his neighbor and he starts banging on the door. Wake up, neighbor. I need some food for my guest. And the neighbor says, what in the heck are you doing, man? It's midnight and my kids are in bed. <laughs> that hits a little bit harder if you're a parent, right? Like, don't wake up the kids, please. We used to have a sign on our doorbell when our kids were young, right? Taped over the doorbell that said, please do not ring the doorbell between these hours so that the kids don't wake up. Does the Amazon delivery guy, can he do that? No, he cannot. He, I'm pretty sure he can't read. But he would always ring the doorbell and wake our kids up. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's a ridiculous story, right? Who would do this? And what Jesus says is eventually the neighbor gets up, not because he's friends with this guy, but because the guy's been so persistent. <laughs> What's Jesus telling us? You need to be persistent in your prayers, right? This is an amazing story by Jesus. He's saying, I want you to beat my door down with your persistent prayers. I want to hear them. How persistent have you been in prayer? <laughs> Jesus gives us the point of the story right after this, Luke 9 and 11, 9 and 10. He says, look, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Beat the door down is what Jesus is saying. Ask. Ask and ask. One of my personal goals this year to improve my own prayer life, and particularly one of the ways I'm working on, is I want to ask God for more things. Right? He says, ask. Ask Him for lots of things. Not just stuff, but ask Him to move in your life, in your family, in our world. Ask. He's saying, beat my door down. 
And I want you to see, then it becomes fun every day to see how God answers your prayers. It's one of the best parts of my day to walk through my day and go, how's God going to answer that one? Right? This is where you get to walk in the blessing of God. A few things I've prayed for, just to give you an example. Prayed for these small, some big, and some small. Prayed for my daughter to get into a certain class in her school for next year, and she did. Right? Prayed for some funding for my trip to Finland. I didn't ask anybody. I only asked God, and somebody gave me a check to pay for my trip. Okay? Prayed for opportunities to share the gospel with friends, and that's been happening as I go to the climbing gym every week. Praying for our church to grow. We had 60 people at DRL last week. <laughs> Since last fall, I've been praying for a certain number of salvations in our church, and we're almost halfway there. That's pretty awesome, right? I say all that to say I'm nobody special. <laughs> I'm just asking God for a lot of things. Ask God. He wants to hear. He's saying, beat the door down. And I want us to be on a journey this year as a church to ask God things in prayer. How can you ask Him personally? And how can we begin to ask Him as a church for Him to do great things through us as believers? Let's be a people of prayer, right? Together and individually. In fact, we met as a staff this Tuesday and we're planning a, a night in May. Where we're going to have a worship night and do some prayer together as a community. I want to encourage you to be there as we begin to tell you more about that. Let's ask God for some things. Now, you might say, why don't my prayers get answered? <laughs> it's a natural question, right? <coughs> James 4, 2 through 3, <coughs> I think, is a really good guide in this. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Spend it on your passions. I think James tells us a couple things there. First, many of us just don't ask. Right? You're walking around going, where's God at? How come He won't move in my life? Have you asked Him to? I found that in my own life sometimes. Some of the hardest situations I've found myself in is because I've never talked to God about them. <laughs> ask God, commit today to begin to ask Him to move in big and small ways in your life. What are you going to ask Him today? As we come to the time of communion again, this is a great time to ask God to move. Say, God, I believe in Your Son and what He's done. Now I need You to move in my life. James also tells us that sometimes we do ask, but God doesn't answer because, or He says no, because we have a selfish and not a kingdom-focused request. John 14, 13 and 14 says this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Part of what Jesus is saying, when you are asking things that align with the nature of God, what He has said and what He's doing through the Son that will bring Him glory, man, He loves to answer those prayer requests. Right? He's likely to answer those. And yet sometimes we also know beyond what James has told us that sometimes God just has different and better plans for our life. Acts 16, we, talk, we see Paul there. He's praying. He wants to go into Asia to be a missionary there. And you know what God said by His Holy Spirit? Nope, not going to happen. But what did God do? 
he gave him a vision of the Macedonian man and said, you go over here. Right? He said no to, James, to, to Paul's prayer to say yes to something better. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 says God is able to do far more than we could ever think or ask. <laughs> Sometimes when he says no, it's because he wants to do something better in your life than what you have for yourself. So God says no because he has bigger and better plans. Then look at what Jesus tells us here in verses 11 through 13. He wants to tell us about the goodness of God in prayer. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? <laughs> That's ridiculous, Jesus. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? <laughs> if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying God wants to give you good gifts. In fact, when, when this is recorded in Matthew, that's what Matthew 7, 11 says at the end of that. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit like Luke. It says God wants to give you good gifts. He's a good father. He wants you to enjoy the things that he gives you. And if you're a parent, you know there's nothing like giving your kids good gifts, right? Those things that light up their eyes and light up their hearts. But sometimes... You want your kids to ask for those things, right? I tell my kids sometimes around Christmas, I, there's some things I know you want, but there's other things I don't know unless you ask me. And yet God says, I'm a good father that can give you far more than you could ever think or ask for. And here he's saying the best gift of all is I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That I'm going to empower you through my indwelling Holy Spirit so that you can dwell in my presence every day and empower you to do ministry for all. Now, it's funny that right on the heels of this, Luke tells us that some people were then questioning the Spirit in Jesus. <laughs> They're saying, Jesus comes and he casts out a demon of a mute man and he begins to speak and all begin to marvel at him. And the scribes and the Pharisees saying, Satan, you're doing that by the power of Satan. And Jesus is like, you guys are ridiculous, right? He said, a kingdom divided against itself, that can't stand, that's going to fall. You think I'm doing this by the power of Satan? Why would Satan cast out his own minions? That's stupid. But he says in Luke 11.20, but if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so again, Luke reminds us we have a decision to make. Is Jesus the Messiah or not? Will he be Lord of our life or not? This is the question of life. Again, who is Jesus? Right? Is he empowered by God or is he of the devil? In Luke 11.23, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, Jesus is saying there's only two ways to live. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either coming into my kingdom and being saved and helping others come in, or you're against me. This is the decision we have to make. That we are to experience real life transformation as God transforms our heart and then God sends us out to save others to be a part of the kingdom. 
Is Jesus going to be Lord of your life? If you're not a Christian, you can become one today. Jesus is so good. He Look, he's just said, uh, the Father will give you all things. And we can become a Christian by confessing Christ as Lord and to begin to walk with him. So Jesus tells us a lot about prayer here. And then he's going to tell us now in Luke 11, 27, 28, the basic definition of what it means to be a disciple of his. Look at what he says here. He says, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. (laughs) I love this story. It's kind of a funny story if you if you give it the right light. You ever been to a concert where somebody yells out something really funny, right? It kind of throws the whole game off. So you can imagine Jesus preaching and this woman yells this out and it's a little bit cheeky maybe, uh, maybe even got a little bit of a laugh. I One time I was at a Jars of Clay concert. Does anybody remember that band? Christian band at Kingsbury Hall. Now we all know we live in Salt Lake City, right? And we know the culture here. And he's giving a very heartfelt devotion about Jesus. And somebody yells out, Mormons! To which everybody started going, woo! Right? He was completely thrown off. (laughs) He had no idea what to say. Now, we love our friends and neighbors, but I think this is kind of what happened, right? This woman says, blessed is your mom who nursed you, right? And everybody's like, that's really weird. And Jesus says, no, rather... Blessed are you when you hear the word of God and do it, which is exactly what Jesus' mom did, right, as Luke 2 told us. He heard, she heard what the angel said, and she walked out in faith. Yes, my mom may have been blessed, but blessed are those who hear the word in God and keep it. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is it, Right? This is why in our discipleship wheel, again, we have Jesus right there at the center. He is the one who changes your life, who you make him Lord of your life. And then God's word is around that because it informs everything we are to do as a follower of Jesus, right? That we hear God's word and then we begin to walk out those things in faith. It's one thing to know about God, but another thing to bet your whole life on what he said, right? If we know knowledge is having facts, but really faith is walking in those facts as if they are true. True disciples don't just have knowledge, but they apply God's word to their life and walk it out. The Bible calls us not just to be believers in what God has said, but also ones that are doers of His Word. And so church, let's be believers that aren't just hearers of God's Word, but doers. Once we put Jesus at the center of our heart, we look to His Word to instruct us in all of life. So how are you taking in God's Word, right? We've got to get God's Word into our life if we're going to do this. Find a time to read it regularly, right? Mornings and evenings have worked good for me. Maybe you don't like reading. You can always listen to God's Word. My wife does a lot of this. She walks around the house with her her earphones in and listens to God's Word. I do this in the car lots of times, listening to God's Word. 
You can find a reading plan that can help you. You know, we, we use this version app to post our notes on the sermon, but it has all these reading plans that can help you read the Bible daily. It'll even annoy you like a good app should and say, you ought to read. Or find a devotional guide. I got a couple up here that I've enjoyed this year. I'm always trying to find new ones. I think this is my favorite this year. This is a book by Alistair Begg. It's called Truth for Life. It has little one-page devotionals on verses. If you're not used to having time with God, this is a great way to start. But also at the bottom of the page, it's got a yearly reading plan where you can read the whole Bible in a year. So you can keep up with that and it will help you. I found these little short devotionals are good to kind of prime the pump, get my mind thinking as I dive into God's Word. These are great things to do. Another one is the Table Talk devotionals. I don't know if you've ever seen these. A ministry puts these out. These are great little devotionals that you can read every day, right, to just kind of prime the pump, get you thinking and talking with God. You can open your Bible in church here. It's a good way to get in God's Word. In discipleship groups on Sunday morning and outside of here. And get, get in a Bible study group. Ask us for help if you need help getting into God's Word because this is essential to what it means to follow Jesus. That we would hear God's Word, take it in, and then be doers of His Word. You know, this book, this, I want to encourage you to read this book if you haven't yet. This, this is a beefy book. This is A Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It kind of goes deep into what it means to be a disciple uh, of Christ. And what he says is that a disciple has a single-minded obedience to the Word of God. That you actually don't become a disciple until you step out in faith in what Jesus has asked you to do. Okay, you can know a lot of things, the, the demons know a lot of things, but you become a disciple when you step out in faith and you do what He says. Okay. And Luke says here that you'll be blessed when you hear God's Word and do it. So what is God saying to you out of His Word today? That should be the question you ask yourself every time you open your Bible. What is God asking me to do today? What's God asking you today? When we come to a time of communion, you can respond to God and say, God, I think you're asking me to do this. Would you help me to do this this week? to walk in your ways, to be your disciple this week. So Luke has shown us what it means to be a good disciple. Now what he's going to show us here at the end of the chapter is all the ways that we can miss the gospel. And this is really important as well. First one here talks about that people want signs. They want more proof of who Jesus is. Luke eleven twenty nine. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, and as he'll go on to say in Solomon. As we saw in Luke eleven sixteen, while some were accusing Jesus of having an evil spirit, others wanted more signs from heaven to prove who he was, right? And he tells them, I'm not doing anything else except what Jonah told you and what Jonah lived. So what's he talking about here, Right? He's pointing the crowds to God's word that was written many, many years before where Jonah was in the belly of a whale and in three days he was spit out. And he's saying, I'm going to fulfill that when I rise from the grave. I'm going to die 
and be in the ground for three days, and then I'm going to come up, and that's going to be proof enough. If you don't want that, then you'll never follow me. Jesus is saying, God's already given you a sign in His Word. I'm going to fulfill it, and that's all you need. You're going to have the resurrection. What else do you need? Similarly, Jesus talks about King Solomon here and how the Queen of Sheba traveled so far because she heard how great he was and to hear his wisdom. And he's saying, you should learn from her. And you, I'm greater than Solomon. I have more wisdom. And you ought to come to me and follow me. And at the end of the day, he says, both the men of Nineveh, where Jonah went to preach the gospel, and the Queen of Sheba will arise to those who stared Jesus in the face and turned away from him and said, you should have followed him just like we did. What is Jesus saying? Saying you got all the proof you need in your Bible to trust Jesus. You got everything you need right there. Right there in your hands. And I fear in our day, the day of data and scientific inquiry, that we are much like the people in this story that demand more proof of God. We want more proof. And Jesus says, you got all you need. Are you going to believe? Maybe you're even saying this morning, God, if you just show me more evidence, I'll believe. And yet we discount the evidence we have. So we often miss Jesus because we want more proof on our own terms. But Jesus says, you got all you need. Are you going to believe or not? He also tells us a great parable here, Luke eleven thirty three through 36 that we think we might know more about our world than we think we know. That's really confusing. Let me say that again. That our worldview, what we believe about the world, might not be what we think it is, okay? In fact, he, he talks about this idea that your eye is the lamp of your body, and when it's full of light, it illuminates your whole body and your soul. But if it's darkness, then your whole body will be dark. And he's saying, consider for just a second if what you think to be true, what you're evaluating the world by, might just be darkness. Saying if your worldview is wrong, it will lead you into more darkness and further away from Christ. That you might miss Jesus because of the lens of your own eyes and mind. Okay, this is profound. world teaches us that all there is is what we see. Right? We live in this naturalistic, materialistic world, that there's no God, there's no salvation, there's nothing but the here and now, and yet Jesus sheds light on our thoughts and says, but what if you're wrong? Doesn't my coming, the miracles I've done, my resurrection from the grave say that there might be more than you thought there was? If we look through the lens of truth Jesus gives us by our, His Spirit, that we begin to see true light of the gospel. Really, this is the story of the gospel in the Bible. How we're all born into the darkness of this world. We need God's light to shine on us. This is the nature of revelation, that it's light that comes into our darkness. And guess what? We don't like light when we've only been in the dark. It hurts our eyes if you've been in darkness your whole life, then you may not like the light. When we first encounter the gospel, it can be offensive. It comes against who we are and what we know. 
But as we begin to let the light come into our heart, it begins to make more and more sense of the world. So let me ask you, what lens are you letting control your life? Right? What are you evaluating Jesus by? Is it the truth or is it things you've learned from the world? Jesus says, let in my light, I'm telling you the truth. Jesus then continues to give us examples of two more people that missed the gospel, the Pharisees and the lawyers. Basically, Jesus is invited to dinner by one of the Pharisees, and at dinner, Jesus doesn't wash his hands, the ritual Jewish washing that he was supposed to do with them, and in essence, he wasn't following the traditions that these men had set up. In fact, they'd set up 613 other laws and beyond God's laws, and the guy is appalled. And Jesus begins to call him out. In fact, the lawyer says to him, 1145, he says, Teacher, in saying this, you insult us. <laughs> Sounds like someone from our offense culture, right? That God's truth would offend them. It cuts to our heart. And Jesus begins to tell them that the Pharisees have become self-righteous, self-important, that they are causing people to miss the gospel. They're getting them focused on religious things and not on the heart of the gospel that God loves His people and wants to save them. And Benji can come on up. And he begins to tell them, you're just like a dirty bowl that's been cleaned on the outside. You look good, but you're really dirty on the inside. That your heart has not been transformed. And Jesus here is telling us you can miss the gospel because you can clean up the outside and, and be really religious, and yet you can have a rotting heart on the inside that is far from God. Without a transformed heart, this we're like that bowl that got washed on the outside, but it's still dirty within. In fact, earlier in this chapter, Jesus talks about a little story about the demons where a demon gets cast out and he goes and he wanders around for a while and then he comes back and he finds this life cleaned up and he says, well, that's better than the desert I've been in, so I'm just going to come back into their heart with all my buddies. He's saying that's what's going to happen to you if you just clean up the outside. You've got to have a heart that is changed by the gospel, transformed. And so we can miss the gospel through legalistic adherence to religious rules of our own making and not walking in the grace of Christ. In fact, that's the gospel, right? That God knew what we couldn't do to get right with Him, that He came to live the perfect life, and then He died the death that we should have died because of all of our sin, and we get His righteousness from our, His perfect life, and He takes our sin. And now God looks at us and says, you're my son and my daughter. You've been made clean, perfectly holy. You can now walk with me. Walk in my grace. Pray with me. Encounter me in my word. Be a disciple who hears what I'm saying and go and do it. So we don't want to miss the light of the gospel that Christ is shedding on us. What is God calling you to do today? Let's be disciples. Is it to start praying? Maybe you need to commit to begin to pray, to pray more, to ask more. Is it getting in His Word? When was the last time you opened His Word to hear from Him? Is it repenting of sin? And have a time during communion to repent of our sin. 
Is it forgiving others? Maybe you need to let go of that hurt in the gospel. Is it leaving legalism and religiosity behind behind to find the true gospel of grace? Is it letting the light of the gospel correct your thinking? As we come to a time of communion, let's take time to examine our hearts before God in prayer. And let's respond to Him. He wants to hear from you. And when we do that, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find freedom. You're going to find a God who loves you, wants to take care of you, and walks with you, and will bless you. So let's get before Him now as we prepare our hearts for communion.